So, I got a question for you. How many of you are making resolutions or thinking about making resolutions? Anybody? John is not making resolutions. In fact, his only resolution is he resolves not to make resolutions. But so many people do, right? We all kind of get started like that. We, Sharon and I visited some friends of ours this uh, October, and uh, Mindy recommended two books to us. And I, I'm a... I don't like to wait around and think about things like that because if somebody recommends a book, there must be something in it that they thought was worthwhile enough to recommend it. So I wrote the titles down and ordered them immediately. And so now we have two books at home that I have not done anything to but look at. One is called Thinner This Year. (laughs) What's the other one? Younger next year. (laughs) I don't know what's inside those books, but I'm sure that uh, there's a chance that I'll find out. Um, How many of you can think back at a time in your life when the impending year, the coming year, you never thought that year would ever get here? Can you think of a time like that? How many of you could, no one? Am I the only person that ever did that? I can remember the, do you remember, what does Y2K stand for? Right? We, everything was, was crashing. Uh, it was going to be a big catastrophe uh, because it was the year 2000. How many of you think, ever thought to yourself, 2000? Sounds like it is so far away, it's never going to get here. Come on, be honest. Put your hand up if you thought that. See, there are a few of us here. I want to let you know that I thought the same thing about 1970. (laughs) I never thought it was going to be there either. But you know what? The new year comes every year. And they pile up, and pretty soon another decade is finished. Pretty soon another decade's finished. Uh, We only have 18, which starts tomorrow, and then 19, which will be a year from now, and then it's 2020. 2020. It doesn't seem possible. Every new year comes as scheduled, and many of us treat it as a chance to begin something fresh, to begin something fresh. And that's where these, this idea of New Year's resolutions are born for us. Uh, and maybe you're not calling it a resolution, but let me ask you this question. How many of you have decided you just want to do life better in 2018? Just better. You're not making the big problem, I'm going to lose this much weight, I'm going to save this much money, I'm going to go, I'm going to visit these people I've been putting off. You're not making those kinds of resolutions. You have the broad brush approach. You're just going to say, 2018, I'm just going to make it better. I want to be better in 2018. I think that's a worthwhile thing. I think that that's what God calls us to do. Um, 
And, and if we want to do that, we have to have our mind around this. It's a new year, and we need a new outlook. If we don't have anything new, what are we going to have? We're just going to have a continuation of what's happening now, which, if it was so awesome, we wouldn't want to do better, right? Because truth be told, there isn't a one of us in this room that wouldn't like some aspect of their life to be a little bit different than it is right now. Not one of us. I mean, have you ever thought, you know, maybe I'll get the garage cleaned up. Right? Uh, or, or you've thought, I mean, you think about those things. If everything was awesome, like in the Lego movie, everything is awesome. If everything was awesome, you wouldn't be thinking about the garage that hasn't been cleaned out that you've been saying you're going to clean out for a while but haven't gotten to it. It's a new thing. Well, if we, if we want to be better, we have to understand where we are. We have to understand what we have. Um, and, and our identity is wrapped up in God. Whether we acknowledge that consciously or not, our identity is wrapped up in God. And if we want to do better, we have to get to know the king better. We just got to get to know him better. We got to take his values and absorb them into our life and make them our values. Um, Jesus wants us to be in his presence. Consciously to be aware of that so that he can continue to do the work that he's begun in us. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. That means if you've entered into a relationship with Christ... Something is happening in your life, in your heart, that is changing so that 365 and one-fourth days from now, on New Year's Eve of 2018, you shouldn't be the same as you are in 2017. And it shouldn't be just a matter of, well, I have chalked up an additional 365 and one-fourth days. It should be, I'm different now. I see things a little differently. I understand things a little differently. My relationship with God is different than it was just a year ago. And if our relationship with God deepens, then it's reasonable that our relationships with each other are going to also change. They're going to also change. And as those changes take place... and we become aware of them, we better reflect to others the answer that we've found in a relationship with Christ. The answer to every situation, every stumbling block, every problem, every trial, everything that comes our way. Everything. So I want to ask you, <clears throat> I want to ask you a question here. Who are these people and what do they have in common? All governors of Pennsylvania, okay? 
He did good on that. That's round one. Okay? How about this? These were all presidential candidates at one time. A couple of them became president. These are all professional basketball players who all won the Most Valuable Player Award. Good job, Jeff. You were right on that one. Okay? Larry Bird is there to the, to the right. And Kobe Bryant on... Or no, Larry, Larry Bird's on the left. Kobe Bryant. I've got to remember that this is actually what you're seeing, too. Kobe Bryant's on the right and LeBron James is in the middle. Okay, here you go. These are three men who played quarterback in the National Football League. And all of them are believers. Tim Tebow in the non-uniform shirt. Russell Wilson on the far side across from Tim. And in the middle, the person who's responsible for euphoria in Philadelphia until he got injured a couple of weeks ago, Car uh, Carson Wentz. There, there is a movement over there, believe it or not, <laughs> to name the state Wentzylvania. <laughs> okay? All right, you ready? This might be a little bit tougher for some of you. These are two guys that, that have leadership roles in our denomination. On the, on the left, right here, is Ron Walborn. Ron is the dean of Nyack College and the Alliance Theological Seminary. And on the right is John Stumbo, who is the president of the CNMA. I want you to know I found all of these images on Google Images. I'm sorry he's not here to appreciate this. Put the governors back up here. I'm going to change the question. Okay? When you see a picture of these people, what do you feel? Now, if you're a young person, politics might not be very interesting to you, but if you're not a young person, you probably have an opinion about these three folks. Okay? Let's keep the question up there and change the pictures. Four Pittsburgh Steelers who all whose last name begin with B, that we're as a, an area, pretty excited about in general. I mean, there are always people that don't really care for the NFL. And there are always people who don't like the Steelers because they root for some other team, as ridiculous as that is. But normally speaking, especially right now on the cusp of the playoffs, this is a pretty good picture for us. We have pretty good feelings. Okay, if you're a New England Patriot fan... This is probably wonderful for you. For those of us that are Steeler fans, this is not very fun to look at. So I'm going to take it off. Okay? Tough, right? We have an opinion about all of these things, about all of these people. And, and all of them 
um, bring to us some idea of something that creates in us, depending on where, where we are on that whole spectrum of being interested in the things that they represented, some type of a visceral response. Okay? I, I, I like professional football. I think there's some problems with it like there is with everything. But I am not one of these people that will sit and watch a game and jump out of my seat and cheer and yell. If I'm yelling at anything, I'm, ye I'm not like, I'm not one of those. But believe me, I'm feeling what's going on. And if I had my chance to have fired the Steelers' offensive coordinator, I would have done that a dozen times in the last several years. I mean, he has so much talent on his team. If I was the offensive coordinator, I could be successful. But sometimes he calls the most boneheaded things. I'm just wondering what he's thinking. That's because I have an opinion about how I think he should be doing his job. And because somehow in my living room, I think that my opinion matters. And that it would be different. I have that same opinion coming to church this morning. Sharon wasn't feeling well yesterday, and so we decided to, to not come in early enough for prayer. And, and we got going, and we followed a white Honda Civic from Knox to the Log Cabin Restaurant. There were several times we broke 40 miles an hour. And there were even a couple of times I was wondering if we were going to break 20. So when they pulled off at that light and pulled in there, I felt a great sense of relief. I felt a great sense of relief until I got behind the Toyota Tundra pickup truck <laughs> who thought that who pulled out from um, the bottom of the hill there, Polly, whatever that bottom road is by your house. Yeah. And drove the whole way past the church as if the entire area was a school zone. <laughs> I was having trouble. I wanted to get here. I didn't have the, the slides loaded up in the thing. I knew... Well, Christy's learned not to be nervous about that. Uh, <coughs> but I, I wanted to get—I wanted to make sure things were going to work. It, and I'm, I'm feeling like that. I, I wanted them to go faster. I wanted Todd Haley to call a different place. I wanted things my way. And I had opinions about these people. I don't know who was driving that truck. I don't know who was driving that CRV. But I have opinions about them. And I fail to remember that the thing that all of those people have in common is that they're all made in the image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
What's the book referring to here? Who is the book referring to? Look in the mirror. You. Me. Look around the room. Every picture that was up on that screen earlier, whether it was someone that we were glad to see or someone that we were not so happy to see, every one of them made in God's image. The Imago Dei in Latin. Now this is something that, uh, that, that we think about I mean, this is kind of at the beginning of the book, right? Genesis, first book, chapter 1. So in the first chapter of the first book, we hear about this. We hear about the creation of everything. And in this day, God makes man, but he makes man differently than, than, than anything else because we are the creation made in the image of God. In the image of God. So what, is, what does God mean? by making man in his image. This has kind of been discussed for a few thousands of years by people, and there are differing views. Um, one group of people think that the image of God has to do with similarity. Means that God and you and I share some things that are similar. Uh, th this could be physical similarities. Um, Nobody's really ever seen God, so we can't really know this for certain, but this is what some people believe. Um, some people expand this idea to incorporate non-physical components like rational thinking and things like that. Uh, and this, of course, this image then is passed down from the creation of the first parents, Adam and Eve, to you and I. Another thought is that the image of God is a counterpart. Um, this means that, and this focuses not so much on our arms and legs and head and feet and hands as it does on the relational aspect that we have. The rational relational aspect. This relationship operates to some degree in the manner that you and I relate to each other. By conversation, we communicate. By looks, by body language, by interaction, we communicate. And we have relationship. And we have relationship. The, the third thought is this idea that the image of God is an image that carries with it the idea of dominion. Um, this, is, this refers to the dominion that God gave man over the earth. Yeah, in this view, the application of the imago dei is the focus. The, not the actual image, but the application of what it means to be in the image of God. Ruling over creation is the essence to some who, who subscribe to this definition. More common, however, is the notion that having these qualities... Having this imago Dea qualifies us to rule. Now, obviously, apply that to a political sense and you're going to be in for a debate that will never end. And the fourth thought is the image of God as representation. 
And, and this is the idea that we are God's representatives on earth. This does not focus as much on God's relationship to people as it does on our relationship to each other. Advocates of this thought emphasize the transcendence of God over people, thus making a, thus making a special need for His continued presence. God meets this need through giving people the Imago Dei. So which one is it? What do you think? Which one is it? Well, you know what? I think it's all of them. I think the Imago Dei is something that we can't really completely understand because you and I have limits. We are physically limited. We're sitting here this morning in this room. We can't be here and at Walmart. We can't be scraping the ice off our windshield and be in some tropical climate somewhere. We're stuck in space and time. And within that, though, within that, God allows us to see Him everywhere. I believe that we have a responsibility to show others God by living the life He wants us to live. I believe that our relationship with Him should characterize our relationship with others. I believe that we're responsible to manage the creation and be stewards of the assets and blessings that He gives to us. I believe that as believers, we of all people, should be able to demonstrate the things that God has freely given to us. Love, forgiveness, restoration, integrity. And for us to do that, we have to absorb the values of God. We have to from within begin to have his character change our character. Have you ever been on the phone with someone who wasn't getting what you were saying? How frustrating is that? How frustrating is that? I, I read a story about a guy who was having an argument with the bank manager because he tried to make a deposit. You know, if you have a check, you could take a picture of the check, right? And deposit electronically. Anybody ever done that? I've not done it. But has anybody ever done it? Several of you have. Okay? This guy was just trying to do that. Except he was taking a picture of cash. And he could not understand why the bank wouldn't accept this deposit. He proved he's got the cash. Why can't you just put it in there? Oh, man. That is, that is a true story. It just, it just shows the Goya 
how some of us are. How some of us are. If we're going to be different, if we're going to have a new outlook, we've got to have new eyes. We've got to have a new understanding. And may, maybe not a whole new understanding or a whole new set of eyes, but a deeper set. Uh, the roots that we have in our faith, we've got to find some way in 2018 to drive them down deeper into that bedrock that Christ is. That unwavering confidence that we're going to be able to face whatever comes our way because He's with us. He's with us. I want to, want to look for just a moment here at, at Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. And I want, this might be a familiar passage to, to a lot of you, but I want you just to, to pretend that you've never read it before. And I want you to think about everything that's here. Think about everything. For he, meaning Christ, and Paul, the apostle, is writing this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? God rescued us. He rescued us. We didn't even know we needed rescued. We weren't out somewhere calling for help. Help. But he saw us where we were. And he came after us. And he initiated that. And, and, and he plucked us away from our own tendency to get off the path that he wanted us on. And he brought us into relationship with the Father by forgiving our sins. Reading on. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, get this next part, and for him. Through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him. I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That was a dumb place to stop. In a way. But let's think about this for, for a minute. 
Let's look at the first thing that this passage says about Jesus and his relationship to you and I. He. Four things that he did for us. He created us. How many of you have made things? Every single hand should be up in this room because we've all made things. When you were a child, you made pictures. What did you use to make the pictures? Crayons, pencils, paper, tape, cardboard. You made stuff. Guys, how many of you have made anything? How many of you, how many, how many of you have made something that turned out terrible? <laughs> what did you make it out of? You made it out of stuff that you had or stuff that you bought, right? That's making things. That's using your brain and your ingenuity and some measure of creativity. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go to Home Depot and say, I, I need some like tissue, um, some muscles, a few bones. Uh, he just spoke. When he made you. He just spoke. And the worlds came into being. That's creation. It's different from making things. Anything you can think of. Whether you've made it or not. Anything you can think of. Is drawn from his creative design. He did it first. He did it first. He sustains us. In him, so the scripture says, all things hold together. That means that you, right this very minute, are being held together by him. That means that the breath that you are drawing into your lungs and the oxygen that's in that breath that is being extracted from that air that you breathe in and sent by blood to your cells. And, and all of that stuff is in Him. The Scripture says, In Him we live and breathe and or live and move and have what? Our very being. Our very being. Jesus keeps us together. He keeps us alive. Here's the third thing. He loves us. When he made us, that, that meant that we were important to him. When you make something, isn't it important to you in some way? I never understood... Um, why cakes fell when you baked them. But when I was growing up and my mother had a cake in the oven, we were not allowed in the kitchen. And I, one time, because I have this insatiable quest for understanding things, whether they're important things or not, I said, why not? She said, because you'll be in there jumping around and the cake will not rise, it will fall, and you will ruin it. 
Now, why does she care so much about a cake? We're just going to eat it, right? But because she made it, it was important to her. How many of you have seen the Christmas movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Big dinner, Chevy Chase at the head of the table, fork and knife, beautiful looking turkey. What happens? Cuts the turkey, steam, smoke, bad smelling stuff coming out. And the woman who made it, is she pleased? No. Buy some new furniture when you have kids. What are you saying to them? There's a new rule. We're not eating in the living room anymore. Okay? I had a friend. I had a friend whose mother had plastic over her furniture in the living room. Now, here's the funniest part. No one ever even went into the living room. I mean, I never sat on a plastic-covered couch. But there it was, just in case. Just in case. Because we give value to things. That we've, we've, we spent our money on that. You're not staining up my couch. You're not, spilling, you're not spilling Coke on this new carpet. Right? You're not jumping up and down in the kitchen and ruining the cake that I made. We care about things that we make. We care about things that are invested in us. And Jesus cares about us because He made us. And He's holding us together. And He loved us. Or He wouldn't have made us. We weren't like little Christmas presents. Oh, look, we'll just make some toy people and put them under the tree. He didn't say that. He made us because He loved us. And because he loved us, because he saw where we were off base and off track and drowning and not even knowing it, he reached out and became one of us to show us the way back to the Father. Amazing love. Amazing love. Do you remember that song, Amazing Love? Amazing love. How can it be what? That you, my God, would what? Die for me. Where else in any religion, in any belief system, does God die? Where? Name one. You can't. Now, there, there were gods in, in Greece and Rome and stuff like that, and they fought each other, and I don't really know too much about whether or not somebody prevailed one god over another one, but those weren't, that wasn't dying, that was killing. We have a god who died, who gave up life so that you and I could have it because we were important to him. Finally, he restores us into a new creation. You see, when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He, he came back. 
And he didn't come back just so he could. It wasn't a magic trick. He came back to give us a new creation so that we could be born anew into a life that would never end. Never end. What does that mean? He, he was the firstborn from the dead. The scripture said, the firstborn from the dead. That means that if we follow him into this idea of, uh, of being a disciple, uh, of being a believer, of being a child of God, that we, we get to have... We get to be new. We get to be never ending. We get to be never dying. We get to be. We get to live in his image and and live because we understand that we're, we're in his image. You know what that means? It means there's no such thing as hopelessness anymore. Jesus says, if you follow me into death, you'll follow me into life. Some of you are, are finishing 2017, and you've lost someone this year that was close to you. A family member, a, a close friend. Keith and Craig's mom just passed. Tommy's mom passed this year. I don't even know what losses you might be aware of. But I can tell you this. Yesterday when we were at the funeral for, for Pauline, Keith's mother, and Craig's mother, I don't remember whether Craig said this or whether Ken Hall, who was officiating, said this that the most important thing about her was that she was made in the image of God. She was made in the image of God. There is nothing in your life, nothing in your life that is so dark that he cannot shine light into it. He's the God who creates, who sustains, who redeems and restores. He imagined you from nothing. And he did it because he loves you. His life gives you life. His breath gives you breath. You do not get to say you have no value. And when and if that thought ever enters your mind, However fleeting, get rid of it. It is not the truth. You are immensely, immeasurably valuable to God. And if you have value, guess what? Everybody else has value. Everybody? Yeah. Everybody else.
the politician that you see as a person who is uh, lying and conniving and manipulative for their own gain. They have value. The terrorist, the person on the other end of the, uh, of the combat zone, they have value. Your neighbor, the one that, that is so hard to get along with, they have value. Your, your family members, there you go, huh? We just came out of the holiday season. What's the, what's the line from, from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Oh, it's Christmas. We're all miserable. <laughs> or something like that, right? Because families are made of people, and people are imperfect, and, and our culture and our, our natural, natural, unregenerated self, and thing, we, just, we just don't get it right all the time. We don't get it right all the time, but that doesn't mean we don't have value. So how do we how do we how do we keep it? How do we get a hold of this? How do we access it? Well, the, the most important thing that we can do, I think, is worship. Because when you worship, you're showing up whether you're here in this corporate worship setting or whether you're doing this in the privacy of your own home or in your car or wherever, you're showing up and putting yourself in a position where you're acknowledging that God is God and that you're not. It realigns you. You're aligning yourself to the truth of who He is so that you can learn who you are. And in that process, you honor God. You bless God. And guess what? You find yourself then. And once you've found yourself, then go out and live. Jesus did these things for everyone, not just for you, not just for me not just for people who are evangelical Christians. He did them for everybody. He died for every atheist. He died for every homosexual. He died for every murderer, for every terrorist, for every abortionist. He died for all of those people. what can we do? We don't really have a choice if we understand who we really are. And when our outlook snaps into alignment with His, we just love. We just love. Because that's what He does. He loves. Everyone made in God's image belongs to Jesus.
They may not understand that. They may not be able to get their minds around that. They, they may find that statement to be repulsive to them right now. But it's true, isn't it? Why is it true? Because God made them. Jesus created them. Jesus sustains them. Jesus died for them. And Jesus offers them a new life. And if we've been recipients of that, it's our job to tell him. We can go to someone else and we can think in a, in a new outlook way that they are valuable because he made them. It's not about what they can do for us. What, what can you do for me? If God sees worth in you, then I will see worth in you. That's a, that's a mind shift for us. It's a mind shift. We have strong opinions about other people. Everywhere. I'm sure that there are people that walk down the halls of your school. For those of you that are at school. That you could care less about. People that you would just almost rather walk up to and bop in the nose. Or some variation of that. But God says, I see worth in them. So I have nothing else to say. I have nothing else to do but to say that I love you. And to live like I love you. That's why we love, because he first loved us, right? If Jesus wants to restore them and lead them into resurrection, then we've got to do it too. Is there anybody he doesn't want to do that for? Is there anybody, is there any person that is so far off the deep end that Jesus doesn't want them to come to him? No. Oh, some Christmas is back, and this was quite a while, quite a while ago. There was, uh, there was a, 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 a little vignette presented here. Um, I believe it was written by Calvin Miller called Cosmic Christmas. And three gentlemen took, this, took a place on this platform. And one of them was in the role of Lucifer. And one was in the role of God. And one was in the role of Christ, if my memory serves. And in the course of that, the father asks Lucifer, what about you? Are you ready? Are you ready to come back? Are you ready to turn? See, and, and that's, that's made up. I don't know whether there's any scriptural basis for that or not, but the idea that God loves everybody that much was compelling to me. Was compelling to me. It gives us a new view it's one that we've got to return to daily to anchor ourselves to him 
and not be swayed away from him by the culture and what it says is important or by our past and what it says we should or shouldn't do. That's the new outlook he wants us to have. Everybody, everyone made in God's image belongs to Christ. In 2018, how will he change you to reach them? How will he change you to reach them? God and our Father, right now, I, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us, maybe not right in this very moment, but that, that you would open our mind to be ready to receive from you direction. Give us eyes to see people differently. Give us the new outlook that, that allows us to care for each other, to care for the hard to care for people, to, to care for the annoying people, to care for the impatient people, to care for the, the smelly people and the, and the people who are not as intelligent as we see ourselves as being, and just to care for everybody that you bring us in contact with in a different way. If we're in school, Lord, as a teacher or as a student, open our eyes to the, to the people around us that need to understand that they matter to you by making them matter to us. And as we absorb from you, the things that we lack, remind us that we are Imagio Dei, living with the image of God. And empower us to conduct ourselves in such a way that your kingdom will advance. For we ask it in the name of the one who gave himself for us. Amen.